This is Matt Woodley, editor of PreachingToday.com on Monday Morning Preacher. I'm here with my guest host, Dr. Kevin Miller. He's not really a doctor, but he's really smart. Oh, Each, well, thanks for that. You're welcome. Each week we look at one aspect of the craft of preaching, and we break it down with an example from one master preacher. Monday Morning Preacher is brought to you by PreachingToday.com. I may be biased because I'm the editor, but I love and use PreachingToday.com because it gives you everything you need to prepare your soul and sharpen your skills so you can proclaim God's Word. PreachingToday.com's powerful database of over 13,000 high-quality editor screen sermon illustrations ensure that you'll be able to find just the right story to drive your point home. So go to PreachingToday.com now and sign up for your free 30-day trial. So, uh, Kevin, true story about some interesting stats. In August 2016, the Pew Research Center released a very interesting study. They polled over 4,000 people who had regularly attended church, loosely defined, that is. Okay. And they asked those folks if they could recall their preacher talking or even mentioning a polarizing political or social issue, a hot potato issue. What do you think happened? Uh, My guess is not many said they'd heard one. You are absolutely correct. In short, the big survey concluded that preachers don't like touching hot potato issues. Religious liberty, hot potato. Homosexuality, hot potato. Abortion, hot potato. Or it could be something else, like maybe race relations or some kind of theological issue. But we want to get those hot potatoes off our plate. Well, you know, it makes sense. I mean, a topic like that takes so much additional work. As hard as preaching is, then it requires a lot more research into sociology and culture and all that. And then uh, you know it's going to upset some people. Yep. So you're not going to win a lot of points uh, with some people. And uh, you put that all together for a pastor who's got a lot going on, and it makes sense. And there might be another reason, too, is that sometimes as pastors we really care about people, and these controversial issues are painful, like abortion and like homosexuality, and we— don't want to pile more bad stuff onto people. Yeah. Um, so we have a great clip here today from one of our preachers at PreachingToday.com, a guy named Rick McKinley. Now, let me give you a little context to this clip. Um, Rick pastors Amago Day in Portland, Oregon. And you know I've traveled around the world a little bit, and I have to say that Portland is one of the weirdest cities in the world. I mean, it's so weird that if you tell someone that their city is weird, they will hug you and thank you. Although they will not hug you and thank you for saying Oregon, as you just did. Well, I'm from the East Coast. That's okay, the way so we you say get it out a, Okay, there. beautiful. Okay, so anyway, it's also a very liberal, unchurched city. And so Rick just plowed into a sermon on Romans 1 on homosexuality, a solid exegetical sermon. But here's something else you have to know about Rick. Rick loves the LGBTQ community. And he put himself out there building bridges. He built some partnerships with the former mayor of Portland who was uh, gay. He has street cred with gay people. So with that background, let's listen to this clip. It is not saying that this this Romans 1 is only uh, talking to homosexuals, okay? Because the church is really good at this. We're really good at, at, at pulling out the sins that we put way up here, and we say, that's a big bad one. And then we have other sins that we put way down here. Those just happen to always be my sins, right? Mine are always the, the not-so-bad ones. Yours are incredibly tragic um, and appalling, and all, right? And so 
what he's saying here is that this entire culture has gone this way, and one of the signs of it will be homosexuality becomes normative. So when he says even, quote-unquote even, the women exchange natural for unnatural, men exchange natural for unnatural. The, the reality is sex is gift. It's not God. And this is true, again, no matter what your orientation would be. And when the sexual hope and freedom moves into homosexual expression as normative, it's a sign that the culture has created a false freedom. Not simply the people within the culture who see themselves as gay, but the, the entire culture. And so sexuality for our culture is seen as an ultimate thing as opposed to a secondary thing. And why that is so off in terms of our inward bentness towards ourselves is because we have replaced God as the ultimate thing with these secondary things that have become ultimate things. And our sexuality is one of the top ones. Now, some of you would say, but this seems natural to me, or when I speak with my friends or my siblings or whoever it would be, they would say this is their natural inclination. That's not what Paul's talking about here when he says exchange natural from unnatural. He, he's talking about design within creation. If he wasn't, then, then it was like every guy that wanted to commit adultery would say, well, that's natural, or sexism or racism, depending on the person, would feel like natural to them. But he's talking about something different here. He's talking about the loss of the knowledge of God leading to the way we think about freedom and life and hope that has become twisted. Which means that we can have all that freedom and life and hope apart from God who is no longer a good God that wants to fulfill us through worship. He's actually an oppressive God who wants to take away all our fun and hope and freedom by putting these mean rules on us. Now a couple things need to be said. Um, first, like I mentioned, this is an entire culture, not just those who practice homosexuality. And secondly, that sexual desire is not the same thing as acting on it. So those of you who are here and you have same-sex attraction and you, and you have those thoughts and you're going, okay, that's me, that's me. The, the truth is, no matter what sexual sin we're talking about, the desire or temptation to do it is not the same thing as the, as the act itself. And so it's appropriate as, as a community of faith that we can live honestly with those desires, talking about them, praying about them, and standing with each other so we can resist temptation. Paul is describing an inward bentness of all people who are seeking personal freedom apart from God. And that's what Romans 1 does. But when sex becomes the soul's hope, right, or people become the soul's hope, then we are in major danger of losing ourselves, no matter what our sexual orientation is. Okay, Kevin, so let's uh, break that down. Let me start with one thing I noticed. Um, obviously, Rick has done his homework on this for this sermon. 
He seems to have done a lot of research. He preaches with a great deal of thoughtfulness and depth. And the second thing I love about it is it's not about those people. The whole sermon, it's always about all of us. Um, So he really avoids any kind of us or them kind of thinking. Yeah, I love that too. And, And Matt, another thing I really like was the delivery. When you have a controversial topic, you actually, it's counterintuitive, but you want to bring down your de- the intensity of your delivery, almost like you are having a quiet, gentle conversation with someone, because it allows your listener to come in close. Kevin, I know you preached a pretty controversial sermon recently, so give us some background. What did you preach on? Why did you preach on it? Well, yeah, um, in December, as some of you may remember, uh, Wheaton, where I live and where I pastor, uh, kind of started to divide, I would even say blow up, over a political uh, science professor at Wheaton College, uh, Louisa Hawkins, who wore a hijab, the headscarf worn by some women within conservative Islam, during Advent as a sign of solidarity since we worship the same God. So that that raised a number of issues, but it raised the theological question, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God or not? And and people were weighing in on different sides, and I've never seen anything so divisive in our church and in our community as that became. So you felt like at that point you had to preach on it, or somebody should, or... Well, I did, because I, I kept running into people who were anguished. It was dividing friend from friend and Christian from Christian. So uh, a month or so after the first posting on Facebook from Larisha Hawkins, I preached a sermon, Do Christians and Muslims Worship the Same God? And I got to tell you, I was, I was tense standing up there because in front of me were the uh, administrators who suspended Dr. Hawkins and also the students who protested her suspension with a sit-in. Wow. So how did you do your sermon prep and your delivery? How were those different than just a uh, expository sermon on a biblical text? Well, uh, one thing, the preparation took a lot longer because I needed to study all these theologians who were arguing for and against the idea that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. I needed to understand it, the issue deeply. Uh, and the second thing was, I wrote a complete manuscript, which is not my usual. I usually just preach from a few notes tucked in my Bible. But this time, I knew that any slight misspeaking could unravel the good that I was trying to do. So I manuscripted and and preached from that. Yeah. And what kind of feedback did you get, and what did you learn from that experience? You know, surprisingly, although I did get some people disagreeing with me on various points and telling me so in emails or conversations, the overwhelming response I got was relief. Thank you. Thank you for trying to help us. I've been so confused. I've been so torn up over this. I haven't known how to pray. I haven't known how to think about it. And you sort of shined some light from God's Word and your own pastoral sensitivity to help me as I move forward. So it encouraged me, actually, that I think— as preachers, we should try some tough issues more often than maybe Pew Research says we do. Yeah. You know, I noticed something about both Rick's sermon and your sermon, and, and that is this, that there is a cost to preaching on a controversial issue, oh, right? Boy. I mean, what was the cost for you? Well, I didn't sleep the night before the sermon. Uh, I, I was anxious and, and nervous, and then uh, preaching the sermon twice took a lot out of me emotionally. 
And then uh, I started getting emails right away, and, and those took some more out of me. So on Monday, I was just toast. And so I took the whole day off. I actually took two naps. I was like, I get why Elijah came off Mount Carmel and wanted to die. Um, but, you know, it, it was uh, – so I would say make sure you book some recovery time when you do uh, wade into controversy. So I don't think preachers should preach on controversial issues a lot. It's not like a your regular fair, like every week you're going to try to do that. But, uh, but I think there's also a case to preach on it because there's a cost – for not preaching on it. Uh, that's um, interesting. What do you think is the cost if we don't? Great question, Kevin. I'll answer that in just a second. First, a word from our sponsor. Monday Morning Preachers brought to you by PreachingToday.com. I may be biased because I'm the editor, but I love and use PreachingToday.com because it gives you everything you need to prepare your soul and sharpen your skills so you can proclaim God's Word. So go to PreachingToday.com now and sign up for your free 30-day trial. So we have an article on PreachingToday.com written by a woman who had an abortion. And uh, she now leads a ministry called Silent No More. And Silent No More is a ministry to women that have had abortion. And uh, in that article, she was practically begging preachers to talk about abortion from the pulpit. Hmm. And she said, um, by not speaking on the subject, you're implying that abortion is so horrible that the word can't even be mentioned in a church service. So there's a huge pastoral care cost to not helping our people. But here's my question for you, Kevin. How do we know when a controversial issue must be preached on? What are the criteria? Yeah, well, what I think pushes me over into saying, yes, I really do need to step up to this one is, one, are people hurting, divided, or confused? Is there a human toll because of this issue not being addressed by their spiritual leaders? The second thing is, is there a clear biblical and theological issue at stake? That's good. Well, let me add just one more thing. You know, we're both big fans of letting the text speak and expositing the text. So I would say, don't always go out of your way to preach on a controversial issue. Sometimes just let the text lead you, and then as you apply that text, you may be able to hit on some of these issues in a way that's faithful to the text. But at times, some issues, as, as you said, some issues just get so hot some questions are so painful, some problems in our society and our community are just so acute that you just can't ignore it. And if you do, you're going to leave people to the wolves of false teaching, moral confusion, or social injustice. Well, that is our episode for today. Think about if there's anything in your community or your church community that just is a burning issue that you need to bring to the surface. Join us next week on Monday Morning Preacher.